in America, we do these celebrations. Every year we have um, holidays and celebrations, that kind of thing. What's really interesting is, and we're in this middle of a series called Things to Know About God, God established some holidays, some celebrations for the people of Israel. Well, let's do a little quiz as we start today. I'll see how good you all are. Uh, there was a poll done, what are America's favorite holidays? And so you just shout out one, and I'll tell you if it's on the list or not. Go ahead, shout. Oh, could you do it one at a time? That's a lot easier for me. Christmas is on there. Fourth of July is on there. Easter's on there. Thanksgiving, yes. Halloween, yes. I didn't hear that, but I don't think it's on there. Uh, I'll give them to you. You're, you're, you're run out. Okay. Christmas, Thanksgiving, Halloween, Independence Day, St. Patrick's Day, Memorial Day, Labor Day, Easter. None of you said neither of you. None of you. Uh, Memorial Day, Labor Day. I think St. Patrick's Day, number five, is way high, but that's a, who am I? New Year's Day. Look at what is noticeably not on this list. I know, I know. We're 11, by the way. We almost made, almost made it to the top 11, but that just seems stupid. Uh, so I think, uh, why don't we just take St. Patrick's Day out, and we'll, we'll bump everybody up and we can be in the top 10. There are other obvious holidays and other things we celebrate. I, I came up with a supplemental list Birthdays, anniversaries, winning a national championship. Kentucky won the uh, NCAA rifle champs. Don't come to Kentucky and mess with nobody. Uh, good grades, graduation, last day of school, Super Bowl, March Madness, opening day of deer season, and somehow Pastor Appreciation Month. Uh, I don't know how that got highlighted, but anyway. Because pastors need to be appreciated more than just a day, uh, evidently. All right, so God establishes these days, these feasts. Sometimes it lasted a week, sometimes it was just a day. Uh, you see it here. He said to Moses, speak to the people, speak to them, and tell them the following are festivals to the Lord. And so we're going to talk about four of those today. There are seven of them. We're going to talk about all seven. But what's really interesting is how they tie in to the New Testament. Now, of course, all this is Old Testament stuff. Old Testament. All these things happen in the Old Testament. But these are things that Jesus observed and it's just really interesting that God likes to celebrate. In, in fact, it probably is better stated God likes for us to celebrate. And so we're going to talk about these things. There are benefits to celebrating. The first thing, it, the requirement was everybody stop. Now, God asks us to do that every week, by the way. Look what it says. Uh, there are six days when you may work, but on the seventh day is a day to rest. We live in a society that really doesn't like to rest. In fact, we sort of, we sort of are, are really negative to people who uh, it, we call them lazy or they're unambitious if they take time to rest. And yet God says that we need to rest. It's good for our spirits. The Sabbath, the word Sabbath literally means stop. And so... Sabbathing is countercultural, but we are called to be different. I read a book recently. In fact, uh, we're doing it as a study where some of us are, are doing it together. A, a guy named John Mark Comer wrote a book called um, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And in that book, he writes this, and I'm going I'm to do the math in just a second, but let me show you this. He says, recently I read a survey done by a doctor who cited the happiest people on earth. Near the top of the list was a group of Christians called Seventh-day Adventists, who are religious, literally, about Sabbath. The doctor noted that they live 
10 years longer than the average American. I began to think about that. What's the math behind that? All right, I did it for you. Let's look at it. If there are 52 weeks a year and you Sabbath every week, that would be sort of 52 extra days. And let's say you live 70 years, that's sort of an average, that would be 3,640 extra days you get if you Sabbath one day a week. Now, since there are 365 days in a year, if you take it out, then that would be, if you divide it by a year, that would be 9.97 years. And the quote was, the doctors say they lived 10 years longer. We are commanded to Sabbath because it's good for us. And so one of the things these festivals did, it made people stop. The second thing it did, it made them get together to to gather as a community like we are today. They gathered together to celebrate. Now, three of these feasts, the requirement was at least the husband or the male of the family, the, the, the husband, really, the head of the family, Uh, would go to Jerusalem. That was sort of the requirement. Now, the family could come, and we see, you know the story of Jesus when he was left at the temple when he was 12, and Mary and uh, Joseph had gone to Jerusalem for one of these, it's Passover, actually, one of these feasts that we're going to talk about today, and they left him. And the American mind, we sort of go, well, how could you leave your kid, you know? Well, okay, but before we get too judgmental, just remember there was an American family that left this kid four times. So uh, it can happen. You can leave a kid. It's not like it never happened before. So every adult male, 18 and over, was required to go to these feasts. We couldn't do that in America. Uh, We have about 115 uh, males that would, 115 million males that would fit this category. So I don't know how you'd find a place for 115 million guys. But this was specific to these people. They were supposed to meet together. And just to be honest with you, stopping and congregating is hard. It's a difficult task. We see it every week with church. The Bible tells us, you know, oh, too many. Uh, uh, some people have given up the habit of meeting for worship, but the instruction is we're just supposed to stop and to gather every week. That's kind of, it, it's important for us. And so today I'm excited that we get to stop and gather and we get to celebrate baptism in a few minutes and then we get to break bread together. There's something spiritual about sharing a meal with people. So we have tables and chairs and we're going to just eat and talk and we're going to, for the next little bit, maybe hour or two, we're just going to forget that all of that's out there. The world and all the problems. And we're going to come here today and we're just going to stop and we're going to gather. We're going to do a couple more things. We're going to remember together. The reason we take communion as a church is because we remember collectively we live in a very individualistic society and so a lot of times we want to do things by ourselves communion is one of those things you're we're kind of told to do it together so we can remember together and then we're going to offer thanks we're going to thank the lord for what he's done for us and today we get to celebrate the fact that uh, part of the reason we're having the big party outside is because we've paid this building off and we are debt free and if i was dave ramsey i would say freedom and uh, uh, it's really exciting. and this some, We should celebrate things. It's really important for us to celebrate. And then they feasted, which sort of shows us that 
Uh, the Israelites were definitely Baptists because there ain't no party like a Baptist party because a Baptist party don't stop. I mean, uh, that ought to be a song. And so they had potluck, and that's what they did, and they feasted. And then they also anticipated. Part of the feast was, hey, the, God has been good to us so far. We're going to remember what he's done, and there's no reason to believe it's not going to continue. Let's talk about it just for a second. Four of the feasts. I'm not going to do all seven today. We'll do three next week, but let's do the four. There are four in the spring. Let's talk about those. First one of the year was one called Passover. Lord, Passover begins on the 14th day of the first month. The first month in uh, the Jewish calendar is the month of Nisan, N-I-S-A-N, not to be confused with the car, N-I-S-S-A-N, Nisan, N-I-S-A-N. The Passover was a remembrance. Now, you all know the story of how God delivered the Israelites out of Egypt. And the, the Israelites were in Egypt, and they were slaves, and they were brutally treated. And if you're slave labor, they run you to the, till you die, and then they just replace you. Because you mean nothing to them. And for 400 years, the Israelites were slaves, and they cried out to God, and God finally heard their cry, and they, he used a guy named Moses. And through a series of natural, uh, uh, supernatural events that are called plagues, God gets the Pharaoh's attention, the leader of Egypt. And eventually, Pharaoh, they kind of, it's kind of a funny story, they, they negotiate. Uh, these plagues will happen and Pharaoh will say, tell, him, tell, tell God to stop and I'll let you go. And then Moses will come back in and Pharaoh will go, well, I, I didn't really mean go, well, I meant kind of go. And Moses would say, well, that, that's not the agreement. You said we could go, and so there would be another plague, and Pharaoh would call him in and say, stop. And then Moses would call for God to stop the plague, and then Pharaoh again would kind of renege on his agreement. There was a tenth plague. It was the most severe of all. They kind of progressively got worse. This was the, the death of the firstborn child in every family, even the firstborn animal. We're having a good time back here, uh, so it's all good. They're not talking about people dying, so I'm sure it's much better. Um, it, the idea was there was going to be a death angel that came through that whole region. And if you were the firstborn son, unless there was something done for you, you were going to die that night. So God made a way for the people of Israel to be saved. You were to offer... A lamb. In fact, look at what it says here. Uh, announced to the whole community uh, on the 10th day, the 10th day of Nisan. Now remember, Passover is the 14th, so this was a bit before. Uh, you were to uh, choose a lamb or a young goat. And what happened was when God establishes this particular celebration, it's remembering what happened. So what happened was they sacrificed the lamb. Uh, they took the blood of the lamb, they used some hyssop, I think that's sort of like a reed, and they would dip the, the reed and they would paint the border of their home, the door frame, and then when the, when the death angel came through, the angel did not attack those in the homes with the blood of the lamb. Now, that's why they were remembering it. Part of what was really interesting about Passover later on, they're remembering what happened back in the day, they had to select a lamb. It's like Selection Sunday. Those of us who are basketball fans, one of the best days of the year is Selection Sunday. That's when we figure out who gets to go into the NCAA tournament. Super exciting. Well, they had a Selection Sunday for 
the lamb that was going to be offered because it had to be spotless. It had to be right. What's really interesting, let's go to Jesus. Let's jump to the New Testament just for a second. He was crucified, but before he was crucified, there was the Sunday before, and Jesus rode in, and they waved palm branches, and they threw cloaks on the ground, and we have a name for that. You know what it's called? Palm Sunday, that's right. It's also called the triumphal entry. Jesus enters, and it was on the 10th day of Nisan when the Lamb was chosen. It's really kind of interesting. There's a lot of... Old Testament, New Testament that comes together with Jesus. Now, this um, celebration was because there was a spotless sacrifice. Look at what it says in this text about Jesus. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the uh, empty life you inherited from your ancestors, and it was not paid with gold or silver, which lose its value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless, perfect Lamb of God. So this Passover is a celebration of salvation. It's something called salvation through substitution. The Israelites weren't saved because they were better than the Egyptians. They were saved because they listened to God and did what God said, and a sacrifice had to be made. Passover. Um, Whenever you read texts like this, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. It's alluding back to the Old Testament. So the first... The first feast of the year, Passover. Immediately following, the very next day, was something called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Look at what it says. On the next day, the 15th day of Nisan, you must begin celebrating the Festival of Unleavened Bread. Now, the Festival of Unleavened Bread, the idea was because, again, going back to the Old Testament, because the um, Israelites had been delivered, they exited really quickly. They had to get out of town fast. And so they didn't even have time for the bread to rise. They didn't even have time to add the yeast. My wife makes bread, and it's great. And I watch her a little bit do it. Um, Really, I'm afraid to get too much in the kitchen (laughs) because she might want me to help. Uh, So, uh, uh, but but I notice out of the corner of my eye what she's doing over there, and and she needs that dough, and then she makes a little hole in the middle of it, and then she adds yeast, and and she covers it with a cloth, and she puts it in a warm oven, and. This yeast sort of penetrates the whole dough. In in the New Testament, even in the Old Testament some, this idea of yeast, or it's called leaven, when leaven gets in the dough, what happens is it penetrates all of it. And the metaphor is used for sin because when sin starts to get a foothold in our lives, it sort of penetrates all of us. And so this idea that there was a a week where we live without leaven, the idea is, okay, well, there is, there is a life where we don't have to live with sin. We don't have to let leaven in. We don't have to live that way. It's the celebration of emancipation, of being delivered. That's a big word. It just had a shun on it that matched everything else. But it just means to be delivered. Now, let me show you a couple of really interesting things. Isaiah, Old Testament prophet, wrote 700 years before Jesus was born, okay? When they celebrated the Passover with the unleavened bread, they, they, they used something called matzah bread. If you've ever seen it, it's really interesting. It has holes and it has stripes. 
It's kind of baked and it has some ridges. It looks a little bit like you put, put it on the grill, really. It has like grill marks. They're not grill marks, but it looks like that. And it has little holes in it. So Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus, writes this. I think it's just really interesting. He's talking about our Savior that was to come in, in his day. He was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our sins. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his stripes, we are healed. In the modern-day Passover, the Jewish family will take three pieces of matzah bread. They have a little pouch that has three compartments. They, take one of the, they put a piece of matzah in each compartment, and on Passover meal, they take out the middle pouch, sort of like Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They take out the middle one. Now, this piece of matzah, they break. They wrap half of that and hide it. Think of the imagery when you think of Jesus. In fact, Jesus, when he was with his disciples establishing the Lord's Supper, when he, it said he broke the bread and he said, this is my body, which is what? Broken for you. Just like they do today in the Passover. They hid this, they wrapped, it in, uh, they wrapped this piece in the little cloth, they hide it. Seems a bit like a resurrection. I mean, I'm sorry, a, 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 a burial. And then a few minutes later, a few moments later, they send the kids to find the piece of matzah, like an Easter egg hunt, if you will, except it's a matzah bread hunt. And they find the piece of bread and they bring it back, and that's a little bit like a resurrection. And Jesus talks about this bread. And he says, I'm the bread of life. Anyone who comes to me will never go hungry. And there's this idea that, that this sinless life that he lived can be ours. I know... We fall and falter, and some of us in the room maybe are in the middle of falling and faltering. But the forgiveness that God provides for us is available to us. Next feast. It's one called the Feast of First Fruits. So you had Passover, you had unleavened bread, now you have first fruits. These, act, these uh, actually happen sequentially. So one of them is on uh, a Sunday unleavened bread and then the next sunday is this feast the feast of first fruits they were to take a portion a kind of the first gathering of grain most likely barley that's the earliest crop that would come in in israel and they would bring a, a, a sheath a kind of a, a, a clump a cluster of these of these uh, heads of grain and they would bring it to the priest now uh, these all things, these things seem a little weird to us because we don't do these things anymore, but they would bring this in and they would hand it to the priest and the priest would take this sheath of barley and he would wave it before God. He would raise it and he would wave it like this, kind of back and forward toward the altar, and he would give it back to the guy who had offered it, who would then give it back to the priest as a gift. It's kind of like a tithe, if you will, kind of what it looks like today. And the picture is this. I love these pictures that it's painting. Somebody has to go first. When, when every moment of life, there's got to be somebody who's first. So in Corinthians, it says, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits, again, it's back to the Old Testament. Somebody has to be first. When I was a kid, I, I grew up in Danville, Kentucky, and I lived on a street that at the end of the street was a park. It was a great place to grow up because I had friends on my street, and we could ride our bikes down to the park, 
And that was back in the day where you, you didn't have to monitor your kids all the time. And so I'd get on my bike, and I would drive down, and my buddies, we, we would all drive down, and we would, we'd ride our bikes down to the park, and we would just spend all day there till lunch, and then we'd go eat lunch, <laughs> go back home and eat lunch. That's how Mother knew we were still alive. And uh, I'd go back, eat lunch, and then we'd go back down to the park. We'd spend all day there until the evening, and then we'd come back for supper. And when you're with the guys, somebody has to be first. I had a bunch of friends, and we'd go to the pool, and our pool had a high dive. I don't know if they even have those anymore, but we had a high dive. And when you're a kid, that thing looks like it's 60 feet in the air. It was probably, you know, eight, you know, probably maybe 10. It wasn't that high. But somebody had to be first, and somebody would be first. And once somebody kind of breaks the ice, then we could all do it. And I remember my friends, Mike Wilson, Terry Wilson, they lived on that street that I lived on, and, and they, their, their yard went straight down, and there was a creek the bottom and then straight up and we decided it was going to be a good idea to build a, a ramp to jump our bikes over the creek that's when evil Knievel was killing himself uh we thought that looks fun so we built a ramp the, now you're talking about you know 10 11 12 year old guys building a ramp i'm not certain it was structurally sound and so we got up the hill because you were going to fly and hit the ramp and then go over the creek. That was the notion. We all backed up, all got on our bikes, and we all looked at one another like, who's going to go first? Well, I can tell you who didn't go first because I didn't trust that thing. It's like good grief. It looked great when we were down there, but <laughs> I mean, there is no telling what we put that together with. I'm not sure we, you know, we weren't engineers. Somebody had to be first. And so Terry, Terry was older. It's like, we vote for Terry. Uh, he's older, and if he dies, then we don't have to. Uh, so we sent him over, and man, it was glorious. And he, you almost see, I can see it in slow motion. He, he hit the ramp, and, and he, he's got, you know, you, you had the, the banana seat, you know, and the little thing up the back, and, and, and he, oh, it was great. And then the nose started to dive a little bit. And it's like, he's going to die. And uh, uh, he, he raced it up, and he landed perfect. It was awesome. And once Terry did it, we could do it. We, we <laughs> one time, I'm from Kentucky. They grow a lot of tobacco. They used to have tobacco warehouses where they would, uh, you'd, you'd cut the tobacco in the field and you, then you'd hang it, you'd let it kind of cure, and then you put it on a wagon and you'd drive it into town and they had warehouses. While they're driving it into town, some of these leaves blow off. And so every once in a while, we would, <laughs> we would find a tobacco leaf on the ground near where we lived. So we had a tobacco leaf one time and... My buddy Mike said, well, let's chew it. <laughs> I was first. <laughs> I was the first one to chew it. I was also the first one to throw up after chewing it. One time we went someplace and we had been dipping snuff. Good grief. I know. Uh, we weren't getting any dates either. Uh, I don't know. I might have been a correlation. And we, we got some powdered snuff, which is, it, we didn't know what to do with it. Because all we'd ever seen was like skull, it's not the same, and this powder. So my buddy Mike Wilson, Mike if you're listening, thanks for this. Mike said, I think you snort it, man. <laughs> to which I said, I think you're right. 
So I put a little bit on my thumb and I snorted it and this side of my face exploded. Uh, I'm, I cried, my lip went numb. I mean, it was horrible. I couldn't feel my ear. Uh, it was... So Mike says, how was it? I said, it's great, you got to try it, man. Because if I was going down, I wasn't going to be the only one. There's got to be a first. Jesus was first. Look at this text. Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who've died. Jesus had to be first. And so this is a celebration of anticipation. He is going to be first. There is an order to the resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. It is a celebration of anticipation. He wasn't just the only one that was raised from the dead. That's going to happen to all of us. Now, let me... Can I chase a rabbit just for a second? This is a really interesting story that I, I saw when I was reading this week. And it really... It's kind of always bothered me a little bit. And maybe this is an answer. This isn't particularly biblical, but I want to show you. It, it's not unbiblical. It's just interesting. Okay. So, Jesus resurrected. But... People didn't know it yet, right? There's a time when Jesus was raised and people hadn't discovered it yet. So Jesus had this really good friend named Mary Magdalene. Uh, she loved him. She had seen everything he had gone through. So you can imagine the emotions of Mary. She had seen Jesus falsely accused. She had seen Jesus falsely convicted. Uh, she had seen them beat him nearly to death. She had seen them put... Uh, a cross, the cross beam of it, a cross on his shoulders and commanded, demanded he carry it up a, a hill, which he couldn't even do because he was so physically spent. He had to get help by a guy named Simon. She had seen Jesus nailed to a cross, raised into the air. She had heard his words as he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? She'd seen all of this. She'd seen him breathe his last, and just before he would say, My Father, into your hand I commit my spirit. She'd seen all of this. And Jesus had been taken down from the cross. He'd been put in a grave. The next day they couldn't do anything. It was sort of prohibited because of Jewish law. And she went on Resurrection Sunday to find Jesus. And she couldn't find him. And it says that she was weeping, which is understandable. Any of you who've ever lost something valuable understand this. So uh, let's say you're a parent and you're at the park and you look down for a minute. Maybe you look at your phone and you look up and you can't find your kid. You can't locate your daughter, your son. And you freak out. It is sheer panic because you don't know where this one you love is. That's, what, that's how Mary felt. If you're not married um, or you don't have kids... Right, um, let's use this one. You're traveling, and you stop at um, some place to eat, uh, maybe a great place, White Castle, something like that. Uh, and you stop there. Y'all, we don't. Do we have White Castle around here? Sad. Uh, you stop at White Castle because you can't get it around here, and you have yourself a, a delicious meal, healthy, probably chicken rings because who doesn't love those? And you have that. And then you throw away your trash, you get in your car, you drive up the road, you're on the interstate, you're a half mile away, and you realize you don't have your phone. <gasps> panic, right? Sheer panic. I, 
I, I can tell you this illustration. Uh, one of my kids did this, by the way. Uh, uh, she left her phone at, at, I think, Chick-fil-A, and they threw it away. And, and so she drove back. So not only do you have to stop, turn around, you drive back. And she, she you know, did a, a trash can dive, and she got her phone back out. But you understand what it feels like when you can't find something you want to find. All right, Mary, she can't find Jesus. And then she encounters Jesus. And she says, Rabbi, and she comes, she wants to hold him. And then there's this really interesting encounter. Look, look, look what happens. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go find my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. And it's always seemed just a little bit, I don't know, um, cruel. I mean, she loves him. Why not, why not let, him, let her hug him? But then later that night, let me show you something else. I've never really, really noticed this. That evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you. Same language. He said, as he spoke, he showed them, he showed them his wounds. He didn't say, touch these wounds. What's really interesting about this, one of the disciples wasn't with him here. His name was Thomas. He has a nickname. Does anybody know what it is? Doubting Thomas. Isn't that a horrible nickname? It's horrible. We had a football player at Kentucky. He was left-handed, huge. He weighed about 300 pounds, big guy, just, just all muscle. You know, quarterbacks usually aren't that big. And so he had nicknames. He was a left-handed hander. He, he came to be known as the Hefty Lefty, uh, which is great. Uh, my favorite was Pillsbury Throwboy. I, I just love that nickname. I have a nickname. Some people call me the Sermonator. Uh, I really like. And by some people, I call myself that. Anyway, Thomas wasn't at that particular meeting, but then Thomas was at the next time. Eight days later, it says. Oh, I went too far. Sorry. Eight days later, the disciples were together again. This time, Thomas was there, and the doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing there, peace be with you, just like he did the first time. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into, touch me. What happened between day one and day eight? Now, there's a historian, and again, this isn't, in the Gospels, so take it for what it's worth. It's just interesting to me. There's a historian by the name of Josephus. He was a contemporary of Paul's. And he said that at the offering of the first fruits, the, the one who harvests couldn't even touch the field. He could only take one little clump because you had to offer that first before you could even begin to think about harvesting. You couldn't even touch the other wheat or grain or barley in this case. You couldn't even touch it. And the idea that, that, that was posed in some of the articles I was reading is perhaps between, between day one when no one could touch him and day eight when people could touch him, somehow perhaps God uh, was presented, Jesus presented himself to God. I don't know, it's just interesting to me. It, it explains to me why he wouldn't let them touch him, but then he would. I don't know that it's true. It just, I, I found it fascinating. Let's go to the fourth and final um, feast. And I know you're really excited because we're getting closer to eating. Uh, so fourth feast, called the Feast of Weeks, also called the Feast of Pentecost. It's called Pentecost. From the day after the Sabbath to the day where you wave the grain, count off seven full weeks, seven sevens. 
Keep counting until the day after the seventh Sabbath, 50 days later, then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. It's called the Feast of Weeks. Now again, really interesting. The Jewish people believe that this particular day, the day of Pentecost, was also the day that Moses got the law from God. Uh, So all these days align. You had had the Passover lamb, but uh, four days before there was a selection of the lamb. That was the day Jesus rode in to Jerusalem. Uh, Then you had the day of uh, the offering, Passover, and that was the day Jesus was crucified. And then you had first fruits, and that was the day Jesus was resurrected. These are all really interesting. Well, here we have Pentecost. Now, uh, I'll quiz you real quickly. Jesus was resurrected. He hung out with his followers for a bit of time, a, 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 a measurement of time. Does anybody know how many days that was? 40 days, right? Great. And then at the end of that, Jesus said, I'm going to send you a helper. It's better if I go away. I'm going to send you a helper, the Holy Spirit. That happened 10 days later on the day of Pentecost. All these things line up to these holidays. Really, really interesting stuff. So God set the people free, uh, Passover. Uh, God gives the people freedom from their sin by giving them the law, if you will, uh, on uh, the day of Pentecost. All right, look at this. From where you live, bring two loaves of bread to be lifted up before the Lord. Again, a lift offering or a wave offering, special offering. Make these loaves from four quarts of choice flour. We always give God our best and bake them with yeast and they will be an offering to the Lord. And the idea around this is there are two kind of two groups of people who are saved. You have the Jews and you have the Gentiles and they come together, same substance, same salvation, through Jesus, they are saved. Really, very, very interesting. They didn't have to wait long. And then look what happens on the day of Pentecost. All the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was the sound of heaven, uh, from heaven, like the rush, uh, roaring of a mighty windstorm. And it filled the house where they were sitting. And then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone was filled with the Spirit. They didn't wait long, ten days, and the Spirit comes Now, when it comes, amazing things happen. It's as if God gave the law on stone tablets on this day, and now he's giving something new. It was prophesied, by the way. There's a guy named Jeremiah. He wrote about 600 years before Jesus, and he talked about, hey, there's something new coming. It happened 600 years later. The day is coming, he says. When I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah, this covenant will be like that one I made with their ancestors. When I took them by the hand, brought them out of Egypt, they broke that covenant, though I love them as a husband loves a wife. But there's a new covenant I'll make with the people of Israel, says the Lord. I'll put my instructions deep within them, not on a stone tablet, and I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. This is a celebration of provision. First fruits was also provision, but it's all, it was, this is different. This is anticipating the harvest has happened, and now there's something bigger coming. And what's really interesting, that's the beginning of the harvest. Look what happens when the Holy Spirit comes. Peter pre- uh, preached. He strongly urged his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. And those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church. About 3,000 that day. What a sermon that was. Really interesting. 
The day the law was given, remember, way back 1,500 years earlier, same day, Pentecost, there was trouble in the camp. The people hadn't gotten the law yet. They rebelled. Several of them died. Would you like to know how many people died that day, same day? 3,000. 3,000 harvested on the day, same exact day that 1,500 years earlier, there were 3,000 who died. It just sort of shows us that the law can't fix the problem. The Ten Commandments, the Jews say, are the 120 most blessed words in the Bible. 120 words consist of the Ten Commandments. In Acts 1.15, it tells us that the church began with 120 members. It's really, really interesting. There's these parallels that God sort of shows us these parallels. So today we celebrate and we're going to kind of, we've kind of tried to take a little bit of a, an Old Testament model. Uh, we've stopped, we've gathered, we're remembering together what God has done for us, and we're celebrating, we're offering thanks, we're soon to feast. Just a bit, we're going to baptize in a few minutes. We're anticipating what God is going to do next. He is amazing. Let me end with a, a story. Yesterday I went to give blood. Evidently there's a, a lack of uh, blood in our area and so I thought well I've done this before I can do it and I've got O positive which is better than your blood and so uh, they need me they said they needed me so it's like okay made an appointment I go in and they say do you want to do you want to um, you're going to give whole blood or plasma it's like well what's the difference and they said well giving whole blood takes about eight minutes and giving plasma takes about two hours it's like well I'll give whole blood yeah I don't want to I don't want to sit here for two hours with a needle in my arm and it was an easy choice for me. I didn't have that much time, I wanted to, but I was happy to help. And, and I, I asked the lady, I said, well, what, why would people, if I can do it in eight minutes, why would I take two hours? Why would I do that? She said, well, that's a different process, and they take the blood out, but they put it back in. <laughs> it was creepy. And uh, it's like they have to clean it, and you can give every seven days. And she said, that blood has to be used within five days. It has to be used fast. And it's for cancer patients, mostly. Patients who, that's a special process, and it's specially for them. And I was talking to Miriam, my wife, about it. I said, honey, why would you do that? And she said, well, if you had somebody you loved who had cancer, you don't know what to do. Wouldn't you sit in a chair for two hours I took the easy road, even though I know I'm quite the citizen for helping. But still, I took the easy path. I'm no hero, although I am. Uh, I, I, I took eight minutes. But there are people taking the difficult path because of somebody they love. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said, Lord, if it's possible to spare me the difficult path, let's do that. But not your will, but mine be done. And Jesus took the difficult path because of somebody he loves. That's us. It's you. It's me.
Today we remember His goodness to us. We're going to pray and be dismissed and we're going to take a little intermission. If you need to go get a glass of water or something, you could do that. And we're going to come back in about 15 minutes and we're going to baptize some sweet, precious souls. Three children, two adults, super cool. And then we're going to feast and we're going to celebrate and we're just going to have a good time together. Okay? that good? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your gifts to us, your goodness to us, and we're thankful for all you do for us. Thank you for the sacrifice Jesus was willing to make and this picture you painted in the Old Testament pointing to Jesus. It is amazing what you did for us. That in, in your mind, you knew this was going to happen all along and all those things that happened in times of old were pointing us clearly to Jesus. We thank you for all of this. I pray, God, that as we go to baptism in a few moments that we would... <laughs> just celebrate and acknowledge and love that time together and then let us eat together and enjoy our time together thank you lord for how good you are to us in jesus name we pray amen